Um, the message is waiting for Messiah's coming. Obviously, it's Christmas, and it's the Advent season. Advent is a, uh, comes from a Latin word meaning coming, and everything around this time frame, from our perspective, should be focused on the coming of Messiah. And I say should because it isn't always focused on the coming of Messiah. Um, and it's often a stressful season when you think about gift giving and family gatherings and those conversations that you're going to end up having that you don't want to have. Uh, it can be a stressful time, but um, I want to think about the coming of Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And, and as it fits this time of year, um, we're going to take it from a biblical standpoint. The very first statement about the coming of Messiah, though not in those terms, occurs way back in the very beginning of the text of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, uh, in the midst of dealing with Adam and Eve's sin, God said, and I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, or literally, he shall crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that's the very first statement of the gospel in all of scripture, right there at ground zero when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And from there, it, progressive revelation adds a lot to it. And, and we're used to hearing certain of these verses throughout this season, right? Such as Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlastings speaking to his eternal nature and speaking to where he's going to come from as, as a human being, from Bethlehem, not too far outside of Jerusalem. And then there's Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. It is, is it a small thing that you should weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, because... Ahab refused to answer God's asking him for a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin sh shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, literally God with us. Or Isaiah eleven four, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Or Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government 
will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now many of these go beyond what we think of as Christmas, right? Um, there is much more to Messiah and his coming than a babe in a manger. All the world loves the baby in the manger, don't they? It's such a touching story with, you know, the manger is a feeding trough for the animals so you can see the baby nicely resting and the sheep coming over and poking their nose in looking for food and the baby wakes up and cries and Mary must have loved that. But that's such a human and heartfelt and warm thing far distant from the cross of Calvary and him shedding his blood for our sins. Because that's where it goes, right? That he came not only to be human, but he came as a human to die and shed his blood for our sins. And we see that part of the prophecy in Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. And he performed a perfect sacrifice outside of the camp. He shed his blood as the guilt offering for our sin. And he died and was buried and rose again. Now that's the part of the story that the world at this time of the year doesn't want to hear so much about. So those are the prophecies, but there's things in these prophecies that are well beyond even the death on the cross. And as we think about the coming of Messiah, we tend to, to look back, right? And we look at the baby, and we focus on the baby, and the manger, and the wise men, and all of that, and it's great to focus on that, because that is the touch point with our culture, with people who don't know Christ. It's the touch point where they can start understanding the gospel. But our eyes should be on the coming of Messiah, which is there, the coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The coming that we should soon hear a trumpet for and a sh the shout of an archangel which might be behold the bridegroom comes that's the coming of messiah that we should be focused on 
Now, all of these prophecies are really interesting, right? They're text on the script on the page of scripture. And prophecy is a really interesting thing, right? Because God tells us ahead of time what he's going to do. And if that prophecy is mixed with unbelief, it's just prose on the page. I could be reading any author. It makes no difference. But when prophecy is mixed with faith, now it becomes promise, a sure thing something that absolutely will come to pass. As Hebrews 11, uh, verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So when we take the prophecy on the page and mix it with the substance of things hoped for, it now becomes a hope. It becomes tikvah. Something that we look forward to. Not looking forward to with, well, I really hope that I'm going to win the lottery. It's more like, well, I know Grandpa's coming on Christmas morning for dinner, and you're looking out the window going, where is he? Oh, that's not his car. That's the hope that we should have. That's the hope of the coming King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now it's very interesting. I read some passages. I don't know if I agree with Dr. Fruchtenbaum's commentaries on all of those, but we're, we're going we're gonna to deal with these, these, this passage, actually two parallel passages. And you'll see as we go through it that it, kind of could apply to different understandings of the coming Lord. It could apply to the trumpet, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets that we're expecting as the next event on the tick of the calendar. Or it could be way at the end, the coming of Sukkot, the coming of God with us, and the joy of the harvest at the very end of the judgment to come. But I think that by application, it applies to both. That's kind of my stance. But I'll give you Dr. Fruchtenbaum's reasonings why he thinks that this particular passage applies to Rosh Hashanah, to the Feast of Trumpets and the Shout of the Archangel. So we'll start in, turn, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. Now, Matthew 24 is this conversation that the disciples had with the disciples alone. And it's pre the time, it's pre-Passover. It's right before Passover when he's going to share the Last Supper that we're going to talk about later, right? There's, there's the third cup of the Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. And they asked him three questions, or one question with three parts. So Matthew 24, verse 3 is that question. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So this is just for the apostles, right? Saying, tell us when, these when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? 
So they asked him questions about that, that day. And he answered a lot of things, and a lot of things are at the far end of that day. But if you look, starting in verse 36, and let's read the passage, 36 to 42. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also the coming of, the man, of man will be. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. We don't know when that's going to be, either the near end or the far end, right? Because the events cascade off of a time that only God knows. And, and here are some of the... So, Dr. Frutenbaum speaks this particular quote on the passage. In the past majority among pre-tribulational, pre-millennial dispensation, dispensationalists, that's us, was that this section deals with the rapture. However, today the majority believes that the section refers to the second coming. So there's two camps within the same end times view that we hold, right? So he specifically calls out five reasons why he believes the way it used to be that it's about the rapture. The very first thing he says is that the, the Greek construction that starts out verse 36, peri day, at the start of uh, verse 36 is translated, it's translated as but here, in, the, in our English text, grammatically denotes a contrast, often in, and it often introduces a new subject different from what was there. Right? Okay. And it also states, only my father knows the timing, but scripture gives us, this reason number two, scripture gives us a clear statement that from the signing of the peace pact with Israel, seven years to the coming of the Lord. So the timing is known relative to the signing of the peace pact. It's not that nobody knows anything about it. The third one is that the conditions on the earth describe two men working side by side in a field and they're separated, they go different ways. One stays and one is taken. Two women grinding at the mill, right? One stays, one is taken. Well, that doesn't sound like the life that's going on at the end of the tribulation time frame, it sounds like normal everyday life in Israel. And that believers and unbelievers in verses 40 and 41 are working side by side, but it's not consistent with the tribulation time frame, where believers will be under persecution and hunted down. And unbelievers will be enjoying the fruits of the Antichrist's kingdom. So you can see his point, 
And, and his last one makes probably the significant point in my thinking, and I'm going to approach it giving him the nod. So we'll talk about it from the viewpoint of the rapture, of, the, of Rosh Hashanah, of the trumpet. Um, but go and think about these things, and if you want to read the commentary, let me know, and I'll loan you the book. Because this is the struggle of eschatology for all of us who study books. There's always camps. And it's like, which camp am I going to be in? So, the passage, verse 42, and the thing where application comes for us right now. Right? Whether we're here or we're talking about the saints in the tribulation period, the application fits regardless. It's like a universal application. It starts with a command. Be awake. Be alert. And it's a continuous action. Keep your eyes open. Watch. You do not know when your Lord is coming. Now the the basis of that is here. It's even stronger in Luke. We're going there in just a second, right? And the concept of knowing there is a perfect verb. So it's something that you know in the past and has abiding results. You do not have an abiding understanding and knowledge of when the Lord is coming. That fits way more about the rapture where he just told us no man knows than the end of the tribulation. But the exhortation here is to wake up. The time is near. We could hear the trumpet today. Now turn with me over to Luke 21 because Luke adds some things specifically to watch about that are really, really important. So Luke 21, we're going to look at verses 34 to 36. But take heed for yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it shall come as a snare on all those who dwell upon the whole face of the earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy of escape of all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So the last verse in that chapter, in that set of verses, is probably the most significant because it's being counted worthy to escape all the things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now those phrases fit way better, I believe, to Rosh Hashanah, to the Feast of Trumpets, to escape the tribulation, all those things that are going to come upon the whole earth, and to stand before the Son of Man. So I think it really fits. 
But there's a whole lot more studying that I need to do about this passage because I've heard it relayed both ways and both camps make it sound right. And I need to noodle it through. And Pastor Rizzo and Pastor Roman, if you want to join me on this one, I'd appreciate the help. So let's take a look at what Luke is telling us here. He starts with this command, watch. But it's a different word for watch. Literally, it's watch out. Beware. Be on guard. It's not just be awake. Something bad is coming. It's a warning. Watch out lest, unless this thing is going to happen. You need to be awake and you need to be watching out for what? Well, he says that you should be made burdened or worn down, weighed down. The concept is you might be lulled to fall asleep and stop watching. Watching is a term of soldiers, right? How many of you have been in the military? How many of you have stood a watch? Let's say you're, it's your watch from midnight to 3 a.m. It's kind of hard sometimes to stay awake. And if you fall asleep on duty, the sergeant's not going to be happy. That's the kind of picture here. You're watching. You're on the city wall. You're there to warn the people if the enemy's coming. Literally in our culture. And there's three things that he warns that we might get caught up in and weighed down by. And the first is carousing or drunken dissipation or suffeting. I had to look that one up. This is all like the nausea that comes from being overly intoxicated and drunk. It's like a hangover. And it, from a moral perspective, it's, it's the moral... Um, what's the word I want? The moral after effects, looking back of what happened in your drunken revelry that had no moral restraint. Now I'm hoping that nobody fits into this category and nobody's flirting there. And it's beyond drunkenness because the next term is drunkenness. Those are the two. Now, I look at this congregation and I go, ah, nobody's struggling with this, but I don't know your heart. So if you're struggling with this, Pastor Rizzo or Pastor Roman, me, and other people in the leadership, we'd be glad to talk with you and walk with you to help you get out of that sinful state. Talk to us. No judgment. We want to pull you out of the slough. But the last one, the last one seems like a pretty regular thing that we can all fall into pretty easily. What, um, the cares of this life, the worries of day-to-day -day living, the anxiety that comes 
Think especially in an agrarian society, the anxiety that comes with trying to make your living in a world that's kind of hostile. Now, I guess none of us ever struggle with that, right? Like, I didn't get a notice from the electric company that my bill was going up 38% this year, or the gas company that it was going up 25% this year, and bam, ooh, my budget payment's a lot bigger. You didn't get that, did you? That wouldn't be something that trips you up and makes you worry. These are the things, the day-to-day -day decisions of life. Oh, we got COVID. A year ago, my brother got COVID and didn't survive. That went through the back of my head. I got COVID. Yvonne got COVID. Thank you all for praying. We both survived. Or a trip to the hospital with a heart attack. Or name the thing that you're struggling with and anxious about. Watch out for the cares of this world. Now, drunkenness and exceedingly drunkenness, okay. Watch out for the cares of the world. Why? Because these things will come upon you like a snare, a trap. A trap is, a snare is particularly a trap that has a spring to it, right? Like maybe a bent branch. There's a, a whole bunch of potential energy saved up so that when the right thing trips the, the, the trap, you're in the net or you're caught by the leg. If it's a bear trap, clank. Now you can't even walk, and you're tied to the ground, and you're vulnerable. Watch out, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. What is going to come as a snare? Well, the coming. So there's a sense here. And I think it is borne out in, the con in what he exhorts us to watch out specifically to do, that there's a problem within our midst, within the believing community, that you're going along and understanding the things that Scripture says, you're hearing good preaching, but it's not mixed with faith. And if you don't, if you're not sure that you believe, then all those things will come upon you. Now that's something that Paul exhorted us about, that we examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith, to see whether we're start stepping out outside of bounds. We have warnings from Pastor Rizzo that he's uncovering in the book of Hebrews, how shall we escape? if we neglect so great a salvation, that you could be at a place, moored in place and thinking that you're stable and sure and safe, but you're actually drifting away into a term that we call apostasy. Watch out! 
that day. Literally, it's the day, that one, is going to come upon the whole world in a moment, in a blinking of an eye, at the last trump, at the shout of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with them, and some will be left behind. Which one are you? That's the thing to think about here. That's the thing to be sure of here. Do you really know him? Are you really his? There's lots of exhortation. I look, really look forward to Pastor Roman's sermon on 1 John because there's all kinds of things and exhortations in that book about what it looks like to walk with God. What it looks like to be his. And, and John writes so that we know. Right? And there's things in that book that you go, well, wait a second. Because we all think about this as we know. Right? And John's like, well, you love me if you do my commandments. John brings a really different perspective. Now, I want you to notice and think about that term, the cares of the world. Because that's kind of a different term. And it's a term that the New Testament talks about in a couple different places. But there's one in line of what I'm saying that comes to mind that you need to stop and consider. And the reason why I went down that road and talked about it in that way and talked about, hey, are you sure you're in the faith? It comes out of Jesus' parable of the soils, also known as the parable of the sower. Right In Matthew 13, 22, as he's explaining it to his disciples, some of the, some of the word fell among the thorns. And, and it says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. They hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches Choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. Now we can have a wonderful argument about whether this person is saved or not saved. But at least for those of us within the church, the key thing here is they became unfruitful. Now, is that unfruitful in that they don't bear any fruit and they're not alive, which means you're staying back for the whole tribulation? Or they're unfruitful and their Lord is coming to them. And next week we'll talk about what happens after we meet the Lord in the air and the meeting that we have appointed for us before him where being unfruitful is a really bad thing. 
And then it ends, it goes to the last place, right? Yep. Read this one, because this is bigger and it's easier to read. Watch, therefore, and pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Here's another watch word. Three times in speaking this section to his disciples, he tells them, watch, watch, watch. When, when God, when Messiah, teaching his disciples, repeats something, pay attention. Watch. But it's yet a different word. It means keep watch. Keep on watching. Watch in every season. All the time. All, at all the appointed times, literally. And as you're watching, there's this participle, a concurrent action that we're supposed to be doing. As you're watching, beseech him, pray, call upon the powers of heaven, asking for the purpose that you might have power to prevail to escape. That you might escape all of these things might, that might come to pass, or that will come to pass, rather, and to stand before the Son of Man. So there's, there's a sense which Christ put into their heads that you need to keep leaning on the power of heaven, beseeching that you escape. Don't count that your theology is right. Don't count that your assessment of your condition is right. Watch and pray. Beseech that you might escape and stand before the Son of Man. And I find it rather interesting that he ends with that term. He used that term often of himself. Son of man. He used that term when Caiaphas said, I beseech you by the Holy One that you tell us, are you the Messiah? And he says, yes, I am. And you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas tore his robe, which the high priest was not allowed to do. Why is that term so significant? Well, Let's read where it comes from in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees a vision. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That's coming with the glory of God around him. And he came to the Ancient of Days. Wait a second. There's one coming with God's glory, and he's coming to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him before him. Then to him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an 
everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That's who we're called to stand before when that trumpet sounds. That's the one that we'll talk about next week, what happens when we stand before him. So my question to you today is, in faith, are you watching and concurrently praying for his coming, praying to prevail? Are you caught up in something that's distracting you, that's lulling you to sleep, Are you so caught up in the cares of the world that the demands of heaven upon your life don't have a matter, don't have a footprint, don't go anywhere to be fulfilled? I mean, we we voted in a budget last week that's 5% more because, oh my goodness, the church also got a bill from the... the utilities that is bigger than it used to be. We voted it in. Are you doing anything about it? I wasn't here to vote, but I sent my check, and it's 5% more. It's a start. We'll see where we go. The ask is that we put Christ first in all things. His position is preeminent. We, this is not just a social club. This building is an embassy of heaven in Springfield. And you are the workers in the embassy reaching out to the city in the enemy's territory, inviting them to come beseeching them to come. God has given all you need to live and all you need for this embassy to be successful. You are the, you are the conduit that God delivers the needs of this embassy. And if you go and go, oh, I don't know how to deal with this, my budget's out of control, I can't, I I won't give it to the church, to the embassy. That's not a solution. If you take what God has given into your hands to bring here to fund this embassy, and you take it for yourselves, well, there are clear examples in the Old Testament for you to go and look at what happens in that situation. Now, I'm not demanding of it, This is your faith and your agreement with God and my agreement with God. But we need to be faithful stewards. So are you watching and praying and are you being true to the things that you've agreed with with God? Have you taken your gifts and put them into into the ministry, right? The laboring here. Now we have a bunch of people in the church working downstairs. 
in our most successful ministry that we call Grace Academy, right? But this embassy is not just a school. It's an embassy. And we need to do the embassy's work outside of the school also. And we're small. There's not lots of us. But that's pretty, it seems pretty par for the course, to use the golf analogy, of most faithful churches in, in our world. I look at mega churches and I go, how does that work? These are things to think, of, think about as you go home. And think about all that Christ has given so that you might have life and you might escape the things that are coming.